fundraisers like you are working to supply your cause with the resources it needs to make the world a better place. But donor expectations and technology seems to keep changing. At Pursuant, we want to bring you conversations that put leaders like you at the top of your fundraising game. Welcome to the Go Beyond Fundraising Podcast. Experts estimate that some $68 trillion will transfer from older generations to millennials and Gen Z over the next 25 years. How is your nonprofit paying attention to what these young donors care about today so that you can count on their valuable contributions in the future? In this second installment of our conversation with Maria Clark from Good United, we explored how nonprofits can de-risk their mission by meeting the communication expectations of millennial and Gen Z donors today. So Maria, thanks for sitting down with us again. In this portion of our conversation, I wanted to shift into something that we started to talk about at the end of our last conversation, which is younger donors, millennials, Gen Z. There's a lot of digital ink being spilled right now about this generation and trying to figure out you know, how much to be investing in, in these demographics and you know, when to invest in them. And last year, we saw a near 10% growth in digital giving just year over year. And when we think about just the fact that younger donors live online, what can we infer about generational giving and specifically these younger generations? Well, I think the work that we do today, we like to say we're, we're building tomorrow's donors today. We can never minimize, like you said, Gen Z, uh, what they can bring to the table. They may not be able to give large amounts of revenue or dollars, but they can be engaged and they want to be engaged. And the more that you can use that opportunities now on social media to talk about your mission, talk about the impact of the dollars that are raised and the, the changes they're making in the world, that's what I think motivates a lot of younger people. They want to be a part of that. And, you know, helping them understand that now and, you know, appreciating and respecting any amount that they give at this point just builds a deeper engagement, you know, for them that hopefully will build over a lifetime. So there's a lot of talk about, you know, what platforms, you know, are attracting what age groups. And, you know, we do know that there's a lot of the whole range of ages on Facebook, um, maybe a little bit older, but that's why we continue to explore. Are there opportunities to test things on other platforms where younger people spend their time? And maybe we start now with more messaging and information sharing. And then when the time is right and the tools are, are uh, ready to, you know, do some frictionless giving, they'll be primed and already understand your mission. So there's lots of opportunities. I don't think it's a, it's an audience we should ignore because it is tomorrow's, you know, tomorrow's big donors, tomorrow's board members, even. Absolutely. I was sharing with you uh, when we were talking offline about this stat that I saw that People who make below a certain amount of income tend to donate a larger percentage of that income compared to people who have larger incomes who proportionally actually will donate less. And so what we can kind of infer from that is that people who donate a larger portion of their income, no matter what that donation of that income actually is, are more connected emotionally with your cause. And so if you see, you know, younger donors who are still growing their careers, maybe they're really young, they haven't started their career yet, they're still in school, 
if you can engage them in any way in giving to you, it probably means a lot. That is so true. I, I saw that play out in my many years in nonprofit fundraising is that it doesn't matter how much money you have to that doesn't determine how passionate you are about a cause, right? And so, you know, I, I, we did see a lot of audiences with less disposable income giving at a higher level because they cared so much about it. Um, and one thing that is really important, I think, for nonprofits to understand is you have to find a way to thank people, regardless of the size of their gift. We call it democratizing the nonprofit supporter experience making sure that everyone feels appreciated because you're right. They, if you're giving a higher proportion of uh, your income, it's more meaningful. It's, you know, a sacrifice for you. So it needs to be appreciated regardless of the amount. And like you said, that emotional connection to the cause, that perception that the organization cares about me and the gift that I made is really going to build just a deeper relationship and a commitment to the mission and a passion that translates in so many ways. Ideally, of course, larger and larger gifts as people's income improves, but it might just be a deeper connection, you know, in terms of their volunteer efforts or being an advocate or, you know, increasing the circles of influence, telling their friends and friends, you know, the beauty of peer-to-peer fundraising is engaging so many more people when you ask them to support you you're not just asking them to donate, you're also telling them about that organization. So, you know, I think that's a really, really important point. It doesn't matter the size of the gift. It's important to the the person who gave the gift and it should be just as important to the nonprofit. You have to find a way to thank every single one of them and engage them deeper in your mission. Yes. And speaking of engagement, Another Blackboard report that came out recently was this idea of the tipping point in which donor expectations have started to, I think, exceed what most or many nonprofits are able to deliver. And so when we speak about things like personalization and delivering kind of more customized experiences to your donors, it's really interesting when you apply that concept to things that generations and people in different life stages typically care about. And so let's kind of look at the two the two generations that we are we're speaking about. The first one is millennials. The Pew Research Center recently defined millennials as those folks born between 1980 and 1997 is where they officially put the cutoff. So what are we seeing about those donors and what do they care about and what do they expect from uh, nonprofit organizations? Yeah, that's you know it it has changed. You know, there's a lot of not large nonprofits who have made significant change in the United States over decades and decades of time. And it was just a different time, too, where um, people just trusted, you know, that they were making the best investment with the dollars that were were donated. And, and, and you know, it was just kind of a, a trust that was inherent in the nonprofit world you know, for decades and decades. And I think as more information is available, um, you know, we can access financials and 990s and really dig deep into how nonprofits are spending the dollars that are, that are raised, you know, it just increases level of scrutiny. I think I see younger people have a, um, they just want more transparency. They want to understand you know, how you're spending your dollars. And I think why, uh, I think that's something that's missing. Sometimes 
people don't understand why a nonprofit chooses to invest in a certain program. And the more we can share about the reasoning behind that, the more confidence you can build in, you know, your the organization's decision-making on how to make the best investment to get the biggest return. So a good example is just, you know, in the cancer arena, there's a lot of different types of cancer, but knowing that if you can solve the mystery behind some of the larger cancers like colon cancer or breast cancer, you can save more lives because more people get those diseases, but that's not always obvious. And so again, being transparent, I think transparency is the biggest thing. And, and also um, communication. You can't just assume that every donor is going to go to your website and read the information posted there about how you spend your dollars. There has to be ways to communicate that. And that is, you know, really a, an important part of embracing social media. There's different ways to communicate with generations that don't rely on email or don't go to websites. You know, maybe they want to look at text or they, they do listen um, or pay attention to messenger or things that are posted on social media pages. So you really have to think about how you're communicating and not assume that everyone communicates and receives their information in the same way. But I think it's the content and just the transparency. They want to know more, more than we've ever had to share in the past. And so it's on the nonprofits to tell the right story. And again, make sure that you're getting the right message to the right people in the right channel you know, that's what's going to engage them deeper and drive repeat action. Yes. And especially being able to discover the channel preferences of people that have come into your file. So we mentioned in the previous conversation that a lot of the giving that you see on social media is, is new giving, it's acquisition, it's people that are, that are new to your file. But what's interesting is, you know, a good assumption would be that someone who came in through social media is going to be most likely to give you a second gift through social media. But unless you actually do a little bit of digging and see where else they're transacting and maybe layer on some additional data insights on top of that, you might also discover that they're surprisingly responsive by mail and maybe you might be really responsive with a stewardship piece. And so without that external information, it's kind of difficult for nonprofits to really diagnose what it is that donors within different segments and life stages are wanting from you. That's kind of the the biggest challenge right now. Um, You know, we know people like to give on social media, but it is a challenge for nonprofits when they can't get the information about who is actually, you know, donating to their cause. Uh, I mentioned before, Good United has a partnership with Facebook. So we do get that information and can provide that to our nonprofit partners. And I know it's really invaluable to them as they continue to figure out the best customer journey. So we can, you know, through our uh, communication with people that come in through challenges on Facebook or birthday fundraisers, we're getting a glimpse too about what they care about. We ask them to share their story or to tell us why they're involved. And that again, gives nonprofits rich information on which to build the customer journey. And then at some point you ask them, you know, what is the way you would like to be communicated with? And you test it too. We know that, you know, email open rates continue to decline. They're in the teens probably now, but open rates on Messenger are, you know, in the high 90s. So if you're going to try to find an efficient way to get information to someone and you know they're going to read it, you know, you have to find what is best for that 
constituent and do tests, you know, which is going to be the most effective and, and the most cost efficient, because, you know, that is a reality of nonprofits. You, there are lots of ways to try, but they all cost money. So how do you invest your money in the biggest return? But that's, you know, it's an important piece that continues to evolve. How do you get more data from these platforms? And then how do you use that data in your CRM system to, again, build out the most robust and effective customer journey? It's a complicated process. And again, I think the sooner nonprofits dig into it and really trying to start solving that for their organization, the better prepared they will be, as I believe social media takes off and becomes a even more of a preferred way for people to give to organizations. But it's a lot of work. I feel for nonprofits, it takes a lot of energy and uh, kind of combining the old and the new, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever your CRM system, how do you incorporate someone who maybe chooses never to leave Facebook as a channel? You know, how do you build that customer journey that way? There's a lot of questions. Yes, so many questions. Quick anecdote. It's funny. I actually became a monthly donor to an organization one time just because I visited their physical location and I saw that they were in the middle of a mailing and they were packaging up all these really beautifully designed booklets that they sent to people who are donating a certain amount a month. And I literally saw that piece, that that booklet. And I was like, I want that in my, in, in my mailbox. Yeah. And I became a monthly donor because I just loved it all the it was it was very beautifully designed and it was had lots of interesting information in it about what the nonprofit was going to be doing and some of their stats and um, but I wouldn't have even known that that was something they sent out if I hadn't visited their their location and saw that it was something that you could receive and so I was, I just had this thought afterwards of like what if they communicated that in a different way on their website of you know we we talk a lot about transactional giving and how you want to move someone from a transactional relationship to a deeper relationship. But sometimes those transactional pieces can really help augment that, that more deeper human relationship. You know, it's always just a piece of trial and error, but I just find it fascinating. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really interesting uh, starting point for this thought, because, you know, when I talk about embracing, you know, the next wave of giving, I, I'd hope, Nonprofits don't think that you should abandon what what you do really well, because there's a whole big world out there, and there are some folks who want to continue to get mail, who like you know getting the the information like you said in a nice book that they can read or a nice you know book that that they can hold in their hands. I mean, I still like to read the newspaper, but and so it doesn't mean that you should abandon any other activities. You know, there are a lot of people that still like to come to events. Um, I think. What's exciting is embracing the new and finding the right blend to give, you know, give the most to your organization and um, using new strategies to find new constituents. You don't want to move them over. You don't want to just use your social media strategy to try to get all of your current event participants to now fundraise on social media. Let people fundraise the way they choose to, but Use and find new strategies are going to help you find new donors who you didn't even know were out there and cared about your cause. And if you can find them and you have that ability to start a relationship, you can build that connection and then learn more about them. Which ones really, you know, care about, you know, the annual report, which ones would always read it online. But it's, it just goes back to creating the best customer experience and not assuming that every donor is going to come in through the same way. We know that's not the truth. There's so many opportunities, but don't limit yourself just to one, you know, methodology. 
we're too different in the United States to ever think that one size fits all. Oh yes, and we're a very uh, an individualistic country that likes to think that we're all very special. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, we I, we we're going to treat you special if you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, and so uh, we we skipped a generation. Um, we were we t- we spoke a lot about millennials, and maybe it's because I'm one. And you know, <laughs> I love talking about people that are my age and what we care about. But what about Gen Z? They're they're younger, but the oldest of that cohort, if we have that cutoff year of 1997, they should be graduating college soon. So uh, they're kind of coming into their careers and they grew up a little bit different from millennials and that I do remember a time before everybody had a computer in their home. And I remember the dial up sound, but a lot of Gen Z's don't. So uh, how are they different from millennials and what have we been able to learn about them so far other than that they stereotypically like TikTok. (laughs) They do like TikTok. So I have two Gen Zers. And like I said earlier, they're the Amazon, I call them the Amazon generation too. Like they are so used to everything being, you know, easy to find. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'm trying to figure something out on my phone and my, one of my daughters will just grab it and do it for me. Right. So I think the more we understand how they like to engage, how they choose to give, and the more we can, you know, find platforms and meet those needs, the more they're going to be engaged. I also think there's, they get a lot of information at them. They've always had a lot of information coming at them. So it's really important for nonprofits to distinguish themselves and find uh, what is compelling about their mission to, you know, really engage younger people. and. They also like to do, you know, whether it's online or in person, they want to, they want to feel they're a part of something special. Um, one way I think that could be a possibility is, you know, this, this new sense of community, not necessarily geography, but, you know, they want to be a part of a community and we're able to replicate that, you know, through the Facebook communities. And I know, you know, that's probably going to be, next generation of some of these other platforms, how do you build cohesive communities that people can feel a part of? And young people especially like to feel a part of something special and have connections. They don't have to have those connections in person anymore, right? They're used to talking online, on Zoom, texting, communicating in different ways, not in person. And so how can we replicate that emotion and connection to the organization or to others who support the organization, you know, in a completely different way? I think there's still, we still have a lot to learn about that, you know, the Gen Z's and and how and when and why they like to give. But I think it's pretty obvious that we're going to have to figure that out on social media. That's where they're spending their time disproportionately than other generations. And so that, that needs to be something we continue to explore and we continue to ask. Let's, let's ask them, help them, ask them to help us build and create what the next is. There's some smart young people in our organization at Good United, and I spend a lot of time just talking to them and understanding, you know, what they think and how they think about it and what their expectations are. And, you know, it's different. It's very different, different generation. It's interesting. Something that I've I've observed, I actually observed this when I was starting college and I've observed it in some reports that I've been seeing about Gen Z, but it is that more so than previous generations, they are more likely to start their own nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I actually remember uh, when I started college, I, 
I grew up in a very small Texas town and I didn't even know that you could start your own nonprofit. And then I show up my school and my college and everybody that I was going to school with was very passionate and driven and had had a, a nonprofit they'd started when they were in high school. And I felt very behind the curve. <laughs> But what's interesting is that I've been seeing reports that trend is actually continuing with younger generations. And so if anything, beyond the kind of unique historical pressures that shape different generational cohorts, I think there is something very entrepreneurial about young people. And I think that nonprofits that can figure out a way to harness that energy will be really successful. You know, that's really interesting and makes it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because there's this access to information that wasn't readily readily available, you know, 30, 40 years ago, like how to start a nonprofit, or you can just go on a website, and, you know, start your own DIY fundraiser and choose who you're going to give it to. So the tools and information that are out there today are very different from, you know, even 15 years ago. So uh, that's really interesting because I can see that trend continuing too. And whether they start their own nonprofit or really decide that, they want to do something special for an existing nonprofit, let them do that, right? We can't try to keep pushing them back into the ways that have typically worked, but allow uh, younger people to explore new and different ways and embrace that. Sometimes that's hard for nonprofits, you know, the old, we always do it this way, but I think the more open you can be to allowing people to choose their own path, the more engaged and the more they're going to, the more effective they're going to be in, you know, taking a stab at making a difference in these nonprofit missions. It's very much a donor first mindset because nonprofits invest a lot in the infrastructure and the technology and the tools that they have to be able to meet the existing giving preferences of the donors who are giving them the most, but you may end up alienating people who are, would be your major donor in 20 years. So um, it's an, it's a very, fine line to walk, I imagine, of how, how do we supply the needs of our existing donors, but also lay that path for the future. Yeah, I think nonprofits that are really uh, critical and challenging time right now to how to, to balance that when it comes to budgeting and resourcing and your capacity to manage new and will it take away from traditional and it's just a critical, pivotal time for nonprofits. And I think the Again, the more you start having those hard conversations and really starting to digging in and figuring it out, the, the more poised you're going to be, like you said, for the donor who's coming up in 20 years, you have to be ready for them. And I think there's, you know, one of the biggest challenges right now is just this uh, uh, loss of control. Like I was talking to a, a, um, a peer who works uh, with, you know, platforms like Twitch and, and um, you know, some of the other live streaming and, you know, sometimes you have no idea who Dr. Z is or whoever, you know, who's running, who's doing this huge live stream. Does it mean you don't take their support because you don't know them or do you embrace that and, you know, find a way to celebrate that and embrace it and engage with these donors in the way that they choose to be, even if they choose to be anonymous. And that, that's kind of a hard place for a lot of nonprofits to embrace. It is. I know. And speaking of Twitch, I couldn't help uh, observing when we were talking offline that the thing that I find really interesting about the modern day of live streaming a fundraiser is how similar it is to the old school telethon. Yep. Yeah. Isn't it and, true? I mean, and that's that's what we're seeing with the challenges on Facebook too. We're taking the best of 
traditional walks and applying the same best practices. So you're taking the telethons that used to work so well and applying them to modern day platforms. It's really interesting. It's so intrinsic to human psychology, right? That no matter what platform or channel you're on, you put a goal in front of a group of people and you allow them to rally together and you make it time bound, they're most likely going to rise to the challenge. It's so true. It's so true. And then when you get a really compelling, impactful mission behind it, it just fuels it even further. Absolutely. Well, Maria, thank you so much for uh, your time today. I want to be respectful of your time and thank you for having this conversation with our listeners and sharing about some of the changes coming up with Meta and Instagram. And I look forward to seeing more of the work that you do with your nonprofits and just how you continue to fuel their missions. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this opportunity and thanks for letting me tell you more about Good United. That's what my title is all about as chief evangelist. And I just, I just love talking about the way this industry is changing. So I appreciate the time and the conversation. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, we invite you to leave a rating and review as that helps others discover the show. 